The following is a message by Dr. W. Robert Godfrey from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. Psalm 108. Let us hear God's own word. My heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and make melody with all my being. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great above the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth, that your beloved ones may be delivered. Give salvation by your right hand and answer me. God has promised in his holiness, with exaltation I will divide up Shechem and portion out the valley of Sukkoth. Gilead is mine, Manasseh is mine, Ephraim is my helmet, Judah my scepter, Moab is my wash basin, over Edom I cast my shoe, over Philistia I shout in triumph. Who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? Have you not rejected us, O God? You do not go out, O God, with our armies. O grant us help against the foe, for vain is the salvation of man. With God we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our foes. So far the reading of God's word. In a number of ways, this is a strange psalm. Uh, When we read it, we are perhaps reminded of the words of Isaac Watts, that the problem with the Psalter is that one reads a beautiful gospel statement over which almost immediately a Jewish veil is drawn. And so we can read a verse like... uh, Verse 4, for your steadfast love is great above the heavens, your faithfulness reaches to the clouds, and enter as new covenant people rather fully into that expression, and then uh, we turn the page and read about Moab is my wash basin, and over Edom do I cast my shoe. Uh, What's going on in this psalm? It is a little strange, and uh, perhaps even stranger in light of the fact that it's a composition Psalm. It's composed of the second half of two psalms earlier in the Psalter, Psalm 57 and Psalm 60. Um, Psalm 108 is composed of the last part of Psalm 57 and the last part of Psalm 60. Why is that? Perhaps the editor wanted a round number, didn't want 149 psalms, and so arbitrarily took some verses just to have one more psalm. Probably not. Uh, What is going on here? Well, it seems to me that uh, we begin to understand Psalm 108 when we realize that Psalm 108 has taken the more positive parts of both Psalm 57 and Psalm 60 to compose this new psalm, Psalm 108, and has done that, I think, in the interest of the character and development of Book 5 of the Psalter. 
The more I study the Psalter, the more I'm convinced that there is a careful editorial hand that has put together the Psalter with a very deliberate purpose. I can't explain the whole purpose to you, but I'm getting bits and pieces of the purpose, I think. And and the purpose of the fifth book, I think, is in some ways to recapitulate the history of Israel and to encourage the people of God to be forward-looking, perhaps after the exile. You remember that book 4 ends, Psalm 106, verse 47, with this prayer, Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name. And then book 5 begins with Psalm 107 saying, O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and has gathered in from the lands. And so there is this sense at the beginning of of book 5 that the Lord is beginning to fulfill his post-exilic purpose with his people. He's bringing them back to the land. He's reconstituting the people. And then Psalm 108 is a psalm of David. It's a psalm of kingship. It's not just land and people that are being restored, but kingship is being restored. And the king is rejoicing in God. And the king is rejoicing in the purposes of God. And the king is calling on his subjects to join in that rejoicing. And of course the fulfillment of post-exilic kingship is to be found in our Lord Jesus Christ. This isn't just an obscure Jewish psalm. This is a psalm that calls Christians to enter in to a spirit of hope in the Lord. And so this psalm speaks in in several ways to encourage us as the king speaks of his encouragement in God's coming victory. The king is confident in the Lord. And uh, we can always use more confidence. This psalm encourages us to confidence in the purpose, the promises, and the ways of God. There is a great victory coming. The victory of our Christ the victory of our God. And it's summarized for us here in verses 5 and 6. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth, that your beloved ones may be delivered. Give salvation by your right hand and answer me. This, This psalm looks at the whole world, and then it looks particularly at the people of God and asserts the victory of God, the ultimate success of God, Uh, the glorifying of God in the whole earth and then particularly in the salvation of his people. And uh, that's the theme that then is developed in the section of the psalm that Watts would probably have called a Jewish veil. Uh, Relative to his people, to the salvation and deliverance of his people, uh, God declares, I will divide up Shechem and portion out the valley of Sukkot Gilead is mine, Manasseh is mine, Ephraim is my helmet, Judah my scepter. My people, east and west, north and south, in warfare and in sovereign peace, I will unite, I will bless, they are mine. That's a statement about the people of God, it's a statement about us. God who will unite us and will bless us, will deliver us. Gilead is mine. Now, I know it's become fashionable in this century to poke fun at Abraham Kuyper. 
and particularly to poke fun at Abraham Kuyper's uh, statement that Christ has said of this world, every square inch is mine. I think maybe Kuyper was inspired by Psalm 108. It's purely a guess. Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. My people belong to me. The fullness of my people. The wholeness of my people. Particularly from a post-exilic stance, this statement is remarkable because Israel wasn't united. It was still looking forward to a day when God would bring all his people together. But that's the promise. God will deliver. God will rule over. God will establish his people. And at the same time that he is bringing that salvation to his people, he will manifest his glory in the world. And so he speaks about, the psalm speaks about victory over ancient enemies, Moab, Edom, Philistia. They will be conquered. They will become, the image seems to be, servants. Commentators are a little divided over what it means to cast my shoe over, but the commentary I liked, purely arbitrary, uh, uh, said uh, it's the image of a householder taking off his shoes at the end of the day and casting them to a servant. Um, Edom's bringing the slippers of the hard-working householder. I don't know if that's true or not. It's kind of a nice image. We'll have the Old Testament guys weigh in on that. Um, but in any case, it's clear that what is pictured here is God's success over the whole world. Enemies cannot stand. Enemies cannot resist. Who will bring me to the fortified city? The king asks. And the answer is God will. Fortified cities cannot hold out against the Lord in his purpose ultimately. That's our confidence. And as earlier Psalms declare, um, we as the people of God don't really need a fortified city because we have the Lord. He is our fortress and our strength. He's our refuge. He's our fortified city. And this psalm encourages us to think in that uh, wonderful way. So this psalm says to us as a people of God, be confident in the purposes of God. He will accomplish his purpose. And that's important to remember because um, often we experience days of difficulty and trial and struggle and the world seems to be spinning out of control and we wonder what is God's purpose? Where, is, where are things going? And this psalm reminds us they're going exactly where God will have them go and in the end he will be revealed as victorious. That confidence is not a confidence that does not recognize ongoing struggle. You notice that in verses 11 and 12. The king cries, Have you not rejected us, O God? You do not go out, O God, with our armies. O grant us help against the foe, for the salvation of man is vain. There continue to be struggles. This psalm reflects that. Doubts, setbacks, defeats all of which should lead us to recognize only God will be victorious, not our planning, not our working, not our strength, only in God. But the king recognizes the ultimate success that will come to God's cause. Verse 13, with God we shall do valiantly, for it is he who will tread down our foes. We are called to be brave, constant, and God will win the victory. I think these last three verses of Psalm 108 are somewhat programmatic of the psalms that will come. The, the struggle of the king is taken up in Psalm 109. Uh, one of the great psalms, I think, prophesying uh, our Lord 
Jesus Christ. Um, you don't have time to look at it now, but Psalm 109 could almost be seen as a prayer that Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. As he, Gethsemane, Gethsemane, is that a new word? Uh, Gethsemane, as he uh, uh, pours out his soul in anguish, in prayer to the Father. And then Psalms 110 through 112 are a celebration of the victory of the king. Uh, these are all, it seems to me, psalms of the king to, to face the reality of struggle and then to celebrate the certainty of ultimate success. So this psalm calls us to, to confidence. It calls us to comfort. That verse I read before that even Isaac Watts would recognize as gospel comfort. Verse uh, 4, uh, for your steadfast love is great above the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Um, this reminds us in a, a combination of attributes of God, steadfast love and faithfulness that are repeated over and over again in the Old Testament, uh, that our God is a covenant-keeping God, a promise-keeping God, a God who is faithful to his people, a God whose love does not waver, uh, a love that will keep and preserve his people, and therefore uh, a, a God who can be relied on uh, in all of the struggles of life. That is our, our confidence. Uh, the king, back in Psalm 61, verse uh, 7, David wrote, um, Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. Now, clearly, it's only great David's greater son who fulfills that prayer to sit forever on the throne. And it was steadfast love and faithfulness from his father that preserved and uh, led Jesus to fulfill his work. And here in this psalm, we're called to enter into that comfort. We are surrounded by steadfast love. We are surrounded by the faithfulness of our God. And uh, when confidence wavers, uh, that comfort should reassure us that we belong to God. And then finally, this psalm uh, says to us that we are to live out our confidence and our comfort with commitment. The psalm begins with that um, declaration. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is firm, established, unmovable. I am committed to the Lord my God and to his purpose. This is sort of the opposite of the struggle of uh, Unbelief in Israel described for us in Psalm 107, verse 11. For they had rebelled against the words of the Lord and spurned the counsel of the Most High. Uh, but here the psalmist is saying, we will not be like those rebels. We will not be those who spurn the counsel of the Most High and reject the word of the Lord. But we are steadfast in our commitment to the Lord. Not by our strength, but by his grace. And so our hearts are full of praise. And that's how this psalm begins, isn't it? I will sing and make melody with all my being. Awake, O harp and lyre, I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. Uh, our hearts are to be filled with that kind of thanksgiving and praise uh, for the great work uh, that God has done. There is no Jewish veil here. But from beginning to end, there is solid gospel encouragement and hope for the people of God. And as we seek to fulfill our 
callings, may we be filled with that confidence, with that comfort, and with that commitment. My heart is steadfast, O God. Let us pray together. O Lord, our God, we are thankful for your word as it comes to encourage us and to draw our eyes away from what is visible to what is invisible, eternal, and true. And we pray, O Lord, in the struggles of our individual lives, whatever those struggles are, struggles with studies, struggles with finances, struggles with sin, struggles with doubts, struggles with grief, that you, O Lord, will constantly be our comfort, that you will fill us with a confidence that leads on to committed service for you. Hear us and bless us, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright 2008, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way, and you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this broadcast on our website is preferred.